0: You are listening to The Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. We are in the third section of what, we, what we're calling uh, in, the, in the book of Acts. We started with the created, created with purpose and then finding the purpose. And now we're in the section we're calling living the purpose. It's chapters 11 through 17 where we're taking steps of faith at this point, intentionally reaching the world with the gospel. And one might think that if we are making that kind of commitment, where we, we understand that we're created with, God, with purpose, and we found the purpose, now we're living it, we're walking it out. One might think that if that was the case, then life is good, right? We'd be problem-free, right? And uh, we used to tell our kids when they're younger, when we'd put them to bed, we'd say, you know, when we put Put you to bed, we get out the cotton candy and the ponies come out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just like it's like this, like romanticized fantasy. And, um, and some might think that, hey, if I give my life to the Lord, I'm walking in his ways, all of a sudden I've arrived, right? And, and we all do it at some extent, I, I'm sure. But today's text debunks that myth. Acts chapter 12 is the bearer of bad news in some ways. It's the truth, and the truth is that bad things do happen to even good people. And it's due to our sin nature, the consequences of others. Uh, suffering is part of the Christian walk, and, and some would even say, and we'll kind of bring come back to this at the end of the service, uh, that, that it may even, uh, may even be uh, the idea that we should it should be a part of the Christian walk. And, uh, and even when you're living on purpose, walking, taking steps of faith, when you're out of your comfort zone, when you're piercing the darkness, there is a sense that uh, suffering uh, does happen, tragedy. It, it happens. Uh, sickness happens. Misunderstandings. Trouble of all, court, all types. Uh, these realities are a reality and some are surprised by this when they give their heart to jesus and things don't all go right Um, but for those seasoned believers we know that there's testing there's trial and it's it's all part of what god's doing inside of us but it kind of leaves us with some questions at times and i don't know if you've ever asked the question why doesn't god stop these difficult difficult things why doesn't god step in when there's cancer or when there's a divorce on the, on the fringe or, or when, it, when that's impending? Or why doesn't God step in when we're facing bankruptcy or loss or any other hard realities? Or when you look at the world and you, th- you look at the global and you say, man, world hunger. Why doesn't God do something about that? Or natural disasters or the water crisis that a bunch of us, I think there's 12 12- people signed up for the marathon in the fall where we're raising money for water to dig water wells. Why doesn't God just step up and do something about that? Or when you hear about wars or nuclear threats or terror, why does God allow you say, God, where are you in these things? And I know I've asked the question and you may have as well. Where is God when there's these school shootings that are so mindless and so crazy. What is, what is happening? And it's almost like it's common, like we just, like, oh, another one in Indianapolis a couple weeks ago. We heard about it, and then we, uh, some friends of ours from Indianapolis joined us and, uh, and in uh mackinac island uh, for the weekend and uh we were like we were like what in the world that's close to home and then i found out that one of the guys that's working with the church i don't know if you guys heard of that about this um, daryl cripe and, and no one's met him except uh, the leadership but um he his son was in the class of the kid at this last that he was in band same instrument and uh that was the shooter, active shooter in, in in Indianapolis. And you say, man, that's close to home. You think, what in the world? And you say, God, why do you allow these things? And the truth is, is that the Bible says that in this world, there will be trouble, right? And it's not going to get better. It'll get worse in the sense that that the enemy, there's a downward spiral. And we might say, God, where are you in this? And today in Acts chapter 12, it sheds some light uh, to these types of questions. And I want you to know right from the beginning... when it looks bad, when things are tough, um, there is hope in that. And this morning, there's hope even in the midst of a really bad set of circumstances. The truth is, and the big takeaway for today, and I want you to know this, is that God is in control. Say it with me. God is in control. He's in control when there's suffering He's control, in control at the midnight hour when you think that things are just about to break. He is in control when your, your faith is at the, its weakest. And he's even in control when the wicked seem to, to prosper. Those in, 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 uh, in, in high places that you say, man, why did they get ahead? And the reality that, is that God is in control, it's true for the believer and for the unbeliever. God is in 100% control. And you say, okay, well, if God is in 100% control, believer, non-believer, is there any advantage in following Christ? Is there any advantage in surrendering to Jesus, living a righteous life? Is there any advantage in living out the purpose? Living the purpose. And the answer is absolutely yes. And I want to show you a verse, and it's not in Acts chapter 12. If you're there, hold your finger in Acts 12. But turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. There's a really cool verse here. It's actually seen not only here in 1 Peter. It's actually uh, a, a psalm from Psalm 34, but we're going to look at it here. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. It says this, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That verse has got three components to it. And this morning, there are three points in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12, and it's going to kind of overlay the three. Let's look at the first part of that. It says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The eyes of the Lord, He's watching over us. And the first point that we're going to see in Acts chapter 12 here is that God, He sees our trials. Now the background of Acts chapter 12, it starts off bad. I mean really bad. We're going to read it here in a second. This is 14 years after Pentecost, after Acts chapter 2. So a lot of years have passed. There's persecution, has been persecution all the way along, and it doesn't stop there's a lot so far. We know that Stephen was killed in Acts, or, yeah, Acts chapter 7. The church was scattered, and the church just doesn't stop. It continues to advance. And then we come to Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Let's look at it. It says, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. So now it's King Herod's turn. And you say, King Herod? Wait, we've heard about him before. And actually, in Scripture, there are four Herods that are described. The first one was before Jesus' birth in 37 B.C. That was Herod the Great and uh, he was ruthless. He was a murderer. He's the one and, uh, that wanted to avoid Jesus from making it. Uh, so in Bethlehem, he was killing babies two years and a younger. I mean, this guy was bad, and he even killed a lot of his own family. That was Herod the Great. The second Herod was Herod Antip- uh, Antipas, and that he was the nephew of Herod the Great, and he was the one that killed John the Baptist beheaded John the Baptist. And he's also the one when Jesus was on trial and went before Herod. That was a different Herod than Herod the Great. And it was Herod, this was Herod Antipas and during Jesus' trials. They all ruled over Israel. The third is the one we see here. And it's Herod Agrippa. It's the grandson of Herod the Great at this point. And he was evil as well. It, the apple didn't fall too far from the tree, I guess. And he was evil. And he ran up a bunch of debt. And he was trying to get things under control. And some commentators called Herod Agrippa the opportunist. And he was a, kind of a scheming, murderous uh, thoughts. And, and, and he would do anything to get ahead. And he, despi- he was despised by the Jews. The Jews hated him and so to get on the jews good side he persecuted the church and it says in verse one there that he arrested many uh, and, and that word arrested he he put violent hands he was he was ruthless in fact look at verse two and he had james the brother of john put to death by the sword And so now James, one of the apostles, not James the brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James later, but one of the apostles, Peter, James, and John, one of the top three apostles, the inner circle of Jesus, uh, it doesn't say it here, but in history, uh, that James was beheaded for his faith by Herod Agrippa, by his command. I mean, bad things were happening. I mean, really bad. And they were living on purpose. They were doing what God had called them to do. But I want you to know this, and this is really important, that God was watching and noting what Herod Agrippa was doing. God sees our trials. Let's look at it. Verse 3 continues. It says, when he saw that this met the approval among the Jews. So he's saying, hey, I, this puts me in a good light. He proceeded to seize Peter also. He's saying, hey, if I got one of the top three, if I can get the number one dude, you know, Peter, one of the uh, great apostles, uh, this will be good. He sees Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. He goes after the number one guy, the number one enemy of Herod at that point. And this is bad. Verse four says, after arresting Peter, he put him, into prison, handed him over to the guard to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for a public trial after the Passover. What was Herod's plan? No doubt it was to kill Peter, just like he did James. No doubt. And Peter had escaped prison before. He's kind of a jailbird, right? And uh, Peter is... And just a spoiler alert, if you haven't read this or read ahead, he gets out again here in a second. And uh, but uh, but before he was locked up, he King uh, Herod Agrippa, he put sixteen soldiers guard him. Not 16 all at once. He would have had uh, four at a time in six-hour shifts, and uh, two would have been chained to Peter, and then two would have been on the other side of the gate. I mean, they said, look, he, he's like, I'm not taking any chances here. But even in that circumstance, is God in control? Amen. Yes, he is. God sees our trials. He knows exactly what where we are, each and every day and he knows that now what is the church doing i hold your place there in acts chapter 2 and go back to first peter and we'll kind of look at it here remember it said the eyes of the lord are on the righteous god is watching over us uh, for those that believe that are that are following christ and then it says at uh, the second part it says and his ears are attentive to their prayers His ears are attentive to their prayers. What is the church doing? Look back now to Acts chapter 12, verse 5 says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. They were earnestly praying. Doesn't say they were just praying. That word earnestly means there was a total effort, stretched in prayer. There was an intensity. That same word earnest earnest prayer was used of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you know the story there, it was right before Jesus was going to die. Jesus is praying. He's saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. And it says he was earnestly praying and praying to the point where his sweat, he was sweating blood. That, that's the type of prayer that was seen here. It wasn't a one-time prayer. It wasn't a, a bedtime prayer, now I lay me down to sleep, or a, a, maybe a, a prayer for a meal, you know, God is great, let's eat. It's whatever, how, I can't remember how it goes. But anyway, uh, but listen, they were asking God to power up, so to speak. And the great thing is, is not only is God in control, right, and that He sees our trials, The second point is that God hears our prayers. The church was praying through until they got their answer. And for us, there may be times where we feel like we're in prison. Our circumstances, a difficulty, maybe in danger. And what do we need to do in those circumstances? We need to pray. Pray. Pray and pray some more and pray some more. And when we do this, according to James chapter 5, verse 16, it says this. It says, for the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. It makes a difference. How long did the church pray in this circumstance? We don't know. It was during one of the festivals that would have been seven days. And so I see them praying several days of intercession here and what happened let's look at it acts chapter 12 verse 6 It says the night before so they were praying earnestly the night before verse 6 Herod was to bring uh, him to trial Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with him, with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance again two were bound to him and what is Peter doing he's sleeping just like I do all the time. (laughs) And my wife, this is kind of cruel and unusual, but um, she is capturing pictures of me sleeping in all different places. We're at Mackinac, and we're relaxing at the mission point, and we're just kind of around, and uh, and I fell asleep because, I mean, what else do you do on Uh, vacation, you know, I mean, it's restful time. And I think it was Sunday afternoon, maybe. I was resting and she took a picture and she's got a whole catalog of these. (laughs) How long have you been doing this? Maybe a year. I don't know what we're going to do with it. If I get my hands on it, I'm going to destroy it. But, uh, (laughs) Uh, so just beware Jack because uh, Janice might start taking your picture when you fall asleep and, uh, and I know but anyway but Peter's sleeping no fear right he's snoring and what's crazy to me is he's not anxious about anything he understands the scripture that says now I lay me down to sleep right that there's perfect peace He's saying, God, you've got this. You're in control, even at the midnight hour. I love that. So he's sleeping. He's chained between two guys, and verse 7 says this, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in his cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. I mean, was that a fist punch? Was it a hey, whackety-whack? I'm not sure. But he says, quick, get up, and the chains Fell off of Peter's wrist. Come on. Houdini, right? I mean, come on. Well, how crazy is this story? God is in control. He hears our prayers. The story goes on. Verse 8, Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and your sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing or really what was happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. He's like, you know, what's going on? He's having a good dream, right? it says they passed for the uh, passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate of the city it opened all by itself come on i love that and when they walked the length of one street suddenly the angel left him then peter came to himself he's saying what just happened I thought I was in a vision, thought I was just dreaming. It says, now I know without a doubt that the Lord had sent in his angel to rescue me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Isn't that incredible? God made it all happen supernaturally. It's incredible. I, I mean, I, I just love this story. Verse 12, it says, when he had come, when it had dawned on him, He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked on the outer door, and a servant named Rhoda, everyone say Rhoda, came and answered the door. Right, She recognized Peter's voice. When she did, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and said, Peter's at the door, but left him outside. They said, you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. They're thinking he must have died, and now he's come back to life. And uh, it's interesting, and uh, Pastor Bobby wouldn't let me, but there is a song about Rhoda, believe it or not. By a guy named Larnell Harris. Write it down. Later on this afternoon, Larnell Harris, and you look up Rhoda. We listened to it pre-service, but we're—I mean, you—you you don't have a chance to get that, do you? No. Bobby told him not to, <laughs> and uh, maybe it's a good idea. But it's a song about Rhoda. It's about this little passage right here. I thought it was a good idea, but the point is, uh, we'll just keep moving on. They thought he was dead. Verse 16. But Peter kept on knocking. And they opened the door. They saw him. They were astonished. I mean, they were floored. They couldn't believe it. God was in control even when their faith was weak. They didn't believe Rhoda. They didn't believe that it was an angel. But when they saw him, their faith was strengthened. God was in control even when they didn't believe it. Verse 17 says, Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. He said, pipe down. Uh, And he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. He said, Tell James and the other brothers and the sisters about this. That's not James who'd been killed. That's James, the brother of Jesus, uh, who wrote the book of James. Uh, And he said, And then he left him and went to another place. So he says, Quiet down. He shares the story. And at this point in the story, Peter is on the run. He is a fugitive. And you say, Why is he running? Why didn't he stay there? Because. Herod would not be happy. He knew that. And Herod's track record was not good at all, and it would not have been good for Peter. And so the question is, why doesn't God just step in when that kind of wickedness happens? Why didn't God just take care of Herod? When we think of wicked rulers, they seem to get away with murder, literally. Well, I want you to know that God is in control even when the wicked seem to prosper. Let's go back to that First Peter and uh, just keep your hand in uh, Acts. But 1 Peter chapter 3, it said on the first part, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayers. But look at the last little phrase here. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So not only does God see our trials, He hears our prayers. And the third point this morning is that God deals with our enemies. And I love this. Well, actually, the first little part, it's kind of sad. Verse 18 and 19, let's look at it. It says this, in the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be as- executed. 16 soldiers, their lives were taken because of this supernatural act. I mean, Herod was a bad, bad dude. It says, then Herod went from Judea to uh, Caesarea and stayed there. He's saying, I'm getting out of here. And uh, what's, what's interesting, it's sad, but, you know, is Herod going to get away with this? Is Herod untouchable? Is Herod unstoppable? Well, we see that God deals with our enemies, and that's what happens in the next few verses. Verse 20 says, He had been quarreling, this is King Herod, with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a God, not of a man. Let me just give you some background. So he's in trouble. He's saying, okay, I'm an opportunist. I see an opportunity here. He's going to do what the people want and uh, to the point that they're saying, this is a voice of a God, not of man. And he is thinking, yeah, you're exactly right. And he's all puffed up in himself. And immediately, verse 23, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms, and he died. God took care of Herod. And this is not just the Word of God that talks about this. Other uh, historical documents uh, or historical manuscripts talk about this occurrence. It happened. It actually happened over a few days, period of time, according to some other sources. But where they were saying, this is a voice of God, not of man. He did not give glory to God, and God dealt with Peter's number one enemy started off really bad a lot of questions and even questions like why did God let James die and not Peter and we can't understand all of that but at the beginning of Acts chapter 12 Herod seemed to be in control and that the church was losing the battle but by the end of chapter 12 Herod is dead and the church is growing rapidly they are very much alive. Look at the last verse there, verse 24. It says, but the word of God continued to spread and to flourish. Isn't that incredible? The secret here is that God was in control. We've studied it in the past, the providential nature of God. As we wrap up, I want you to Just kind of put yourself in a place where you can see what God might be doing in your life. Why do we struggle in areas? Sometimes we may not know. But when we live on purpose, when we trust God, even in His timing, I promise you this, that heaven will not disappoint us. And when it comes to suffering and hardship, some commentators noted that there is no glory apart from suffering. And that's a hard thing to understand. Another uh, great pastor, missionary that I know, and I met him a couple of weeks back at district council, he spoke, Dick Brogdon, he's known for saying that the blood of martyrs is the seed to the growth of the church. And you think James, his death, and now the church is advancing? And what Dick Brogdon said, and I came home telling my my daughter who feels called to missions, is that we need missionaries and regular missionaries, we're all missionaries, that are willing to suffer for the gospel. Understanding that God is in control But when they're suffering, the kingdom advances. It's a hard pill to swallow. But the word of God increasing, the word of God moving forward, it is absolutely worth it when we give our hearts, when we give our lives. I'm going to ask Pastor Bobby to come. And this morning as we close, I want to bring us to a point where we're where we not only can say or read that God is in control, but that we would experience it firsthand. And what it takes, I believe, is for us to put our trust in the Lord, put our trust in His timing. And what in this story is remarkable what changed things what did god do according to first peter the eyes of the lord are on he hears and then he puts his hand against our enemies and what the key in my mind is that he hears our prayers he hears us when we call and i think the lord has just orchestrated this service just uh, better than we could have if we tried to plan it um with the worship and the last song and even the second go around and saying, you know, what have you not let go? Listen, there is suffering. There may be trials. There may be a problem that you're facing. And we need to live in the space where we realize that God is in complete control. And I don't know all of your stories. I know some. I know that life is not easy. And I understand that God, He allows things that we may never understand, but He's in control and we can trust Him 100%. And this morning, we want to bring our time to a close and and I want to spend just a moment seeking the Lord praying, giving our hearts fully, understanding that God is in control. And that's how I'd like to close this morning. But before we get there, there may be someone here that has found themselves at the Gateway Church. And maybe you're a guest, maybe you've been coming for a while and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, it's the first step of faith that you need to take. And it's the best step because God, He will take you right where you are and He'll start a process of of sanctification, of cleaning you up and helping you to live. Now, will there be suffering? Yes, there will. And will there even be suffering because of your decision for Christ? There probably will, but it's worth it if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, let's just go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes here for a moment. Just a moment between you and the Lord. If you're here and you don't know Jesus or you're maybe you served Him at one time and you're far away from Him today and He's calling you back, if that's you, would you just slip up your hand? I want to pray for you. Who for service would say, yep, that's me thank you. We've got a gentleman in the back. Anybody else who say, yep, that's me. I need to give my heart. I need to surrender again. Who else would join this gentleman in the back who, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you come forward even this morning. But listen, it's a decision between you and the Lord. For the sake of the one, could I lead you in a prayer? It's a, it's a, a prayer that if you believe the words of this prayer, that it, that's what saves you. It's your belief in Jesus. Would you all say this with me? Say, Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father please, forgive please forgive me for all the things I've done wrong, for, the, done for the sin in my life. My life. Take, it Take it away. Make me clean. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. And today I put my hope in you. I believe in you. That you died on the cross and you rose again. Providing a way for me to live with you in heaven for eternity. And with the one we rejoice and we thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing in this place. Thank you, Lord. And I'll follow up with the gentleman here in just a moment. But for the rest of us, I want us to stand right where we are. Every single person, stand right where you are. And if you are in a place where you are facing a difficult situation, if you have found yourself raising kids and it's given you more than you might have uh, bargained for, if you're in a trial or there's a problem or there's a, you know, an issue with relationships or finances and the reality, there's pro- this probably ad- addresses most of us here. I want you to do something in the next moment. I want you to surrender to our Heavenly Father and just communicate to Him in your own way that He is in control. And so what we're going to do, we're going to turn the lights low and Pastor Bobby is just going to play. And I want you right where you are to take this moment to not only read that God is in control or even just to say that, but I want you to have a little conversation. We're going to give you a few moments to do that. And just all across this place, just tell the Lord about your trouble. He already knows, but but share with him. He, he sees it. He knows where you are, but he wants to hear your prayer. He hears our prayer and then just believe that he's going to come and he's going to be a provider. He's going to do the supernatural in your life. He's going to overflow. He's going to surprise you. There, there will be uh, just greatness that will come when we surrender and we say, God, you're in control. Come on, just right where you are. Let's lift our voices, Saints. come on, God, you're in control. I put my faith, I give you my kids. I give you my job situation. I give you the hiring trouble that we're in. I give you this cancer. I give you my my uh, my issues, God. I give you my addictions. I give you the fear, God. You're in control. And Lord, help us not only to say it, but help us to realize it deep down within us. And help it to move us, God, to walk in confidence. With our head held high, God, do the supernatural. We pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And now, God, as we leave here, we want to be people that pray earnestly, where we don't give up, where we go the long hours, even at the midnight hour, praying. God, I pray that we'd be people that are at your feet constantly. And Lord, we'd hold on to your throne for our circumstances. And God, we thank you that you allow us to do that. And now I pray that you'd go before us behind us, and all around us. We pray this in Jesus' awesome and holy name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. We love you. I want you to know that you take the presence of God with you. And so as you go, pray, pray earnestly, and go in the grace of God this morning. Amen.